Live from WNUR News, I'm Iris Warthow. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1 Evanston, Chicago. It's Wednesday, April 27, 2022. Tonight on WNUR News, Northwestern's Dale Duro Dance Company prepares for its annual spring showcase. A check-in on how mid-2010's dystopian series lovers are doing now. A deep dive into where theatrical cat noises come from in the filming industry. And a look at how NU's spring sports are doing now that we enter May. Those stories coming up tonight on WNUR News at 6. Thanks for tuning in. Fuego and Wirtz? Dale Duro Dance Company is getting ready for its annual spring showcase. Campus local editor Maria Jimena Aragon has the story. The Ward Center of the Performing Arts is filled with talent. From reimagined renditions of Shakespeare's plays to musicals we know and love, the building hosts Northwestern's powerful theater and dance community. However, on Mondays at 6 p.m., you won't be hearing monologues. Instead, you'll hear that alegro trayendo el sabor. I got the chance this week to get a sneak peek of the rehearsal for the merengue reggaeton dance, choreographed by our very own A&E editor and my friend, Maria Camaño. So this year, you're involved with some dances in Baleguro. Tell me a little bit more about that and what you're doing. I played myself this year. I... I decided, so usually for that little, what I end up, this always happens every year. I start out and I'm like, I'm going to take it easy. I'm only going to be in like one or two dances. Um, and then I end up always signing up for more. So that's what ended up happening, especially this year. I was like, I'm choreographing a dance that's very intense. Um, let me just be in another one. And then I ended up signing up for three more. <laughs> so now I'm in five. But yeah. I'm in five, and then the finale dance, so that's six. You're in six dances, so how do you keep all the moves straight, all the different choreographies, everything that comes with it? I think it's, I always say this, and I find it so funny, like in my rehearsals, I'll be like, let me do it with the music on when I don't remember what I'm trying to teach my girls. Because I think muscle memory is very strong. I have never been able to, like, to see like how my body can just remember things so easily. So the way I remember it is, do you guys remember what arm you do the first? Like that's in your brain, right? But then over time, because I've gotten so used to it, um, because it, it's been three years, I think my body now just knows how to do things, and it's insane. Founded in 2018, Dale Duro is an inclusive dance group that hosts workshops year-round. They teach salsa, bachata, merengue, flamenco, cumbia, reggaeton, and more. The group welcomes dancers from all skill levels and backgrounds in preparation for its annual spring showcase. Hi, my name is Natalia Camino Cantu. I'm a junior in Weinberg. Last quarter, I only had two dances. I had only signed up for two dances, so each dance we rehearse an hour a week. Um, and then this quarter, I decided to add two more dances, so 
I have four dances, so I have four hours of practice a week. Um, and then I also practice on my own a lot. Um, as I mentioned, like I didn't have any dance experience prior prior to that at Udo, so I feel like I have to practice a lot on my own just to make sure I feel confident with the moves. Um, so I definitely dedicate over five or six hours to that a little each week. But honestly, it's so fun. I don't like, I don't mind it. Like I enjoy it. And what does it mean to be part of a Latinx group on campus? Um, being part of a Latinx community and like a Latinx group on campus is something I definitely value. I think without it, I sometimes feel lost in like that aspect of my identity, like ethnic identity. Um, and so that little really allows for a space where like I can feel comfortable either like speaking Spanish or like really talking about the music I appreciate and listen to without like one feeling judged or like two people actually know what I'm talking about. And so it just like makes me feel valued and I that's like really what I enjoy about that little it's like a very supportive community. That little really provides something where I can feel comfortable and valued. Rehearsing now for over three months, the group of 14 girls that take over Words 230 are getting ready to enter Tech Week, playing Becky G and El Alfa over and over again. How have you seen the progress of the people who are in your dance these past few months? Oh, I love that question because I love my girls. I have a lot of freshmen in my piece. I really wanted it to be a beginner-friendly piece because I think one of the things that I really liked my freshman year was that I was with Ariana, who's one of my choreographers, and she's the one who kind of encouraged me to get into it and like other dance groups since my freshman year. And I remember just getting into her rehearsal and feeling so like welcomed even though I was a freshman and I didn't know anyone and I didn't I didn't have dance experience but it felt like it was so beginner friendly and so fun to go to because it just like didn't feel like it was school in any way it felt like it was really fun and that's like the type of vibe I wanted for my dance as well So seeing them grow and get better and like be able to do the entire dance like now that it's finished when like they had to put up with me like figuring out how to choreograph. I don't know, I'm excited to see them do it. I'm excited to see videos of them doing it. I'm excited to see them people like from that Eduro during a tech rehearsal, seeing them because they know them and they're going to get to see them like after they've done all of like the rehearsals and they have all the moves down and they're a lot more confident. I see a lot of my girls get more confident and I think that's the most important part for me because that's what makes it like fun for me, seeing them get like into it and like vibe. Make sure you check out Dale Duro's Spring Showcase in Ryan Auditorium next week, May 6th at 8 p.m. or May 7th at 9 p.m. This is Maria Jimena Aragón, WNUR News.
You're listening to WNUR News. It's 6.07 p.m. Central. Moving on to arts and entertainment. Between the years of 2010 to 2016, many teens and non-teens alike obsessed over books like The Hunger Games and Divergent for indulging in an emerging genre of novels, dystopian. While not as popular now, dystopian fiction had a hold on the reading world 10 years ago. Reporter Ellie Skelly looks at where these dystopian lovers are now up next. Last summer, my best friend Sophie and I spent 15 hours and 26 minutes re-watching all of the Hunger Games and Divergent movies. For us, the experience wasn't about the quality or caliber of the movie, but the nostalgia. We prepared for our first year of college by returning to the super fandom of our early adolescence. I called Sophie to reflect on why we love those movies in the first place. I think still seeing rep- like representation for a strong female um, character is still there and still speaks to me, and I know still speaks to you. Like Sophie and I, so many now young adult women grew up idolizing the 2010 to 2016 version of dystopian media and literature. Katniss Everdeen and Tris Pryor were seen as strong, independent role models. Their bravery in the face of utter disaster was complemented by their identity as a young woman. I think it was the first time that we were seeing really popular young adult books that had female heroines um, for a majority of like children's books. It was always centered on like a male character. And then maybe there was like a female counterpart or a female sidekick, but we never really saw a strong female protagonist. And I think that the era of dystopian novels really brought that in as um, a young girl trying to figure out who she was. And obviously books are extremely influential, influential in that area. And so I think just that powerful female figure really drew me to the dystopian novel. Idolizing characters like Katniss or Triss offered Northwestern freshman Evelyn Driscoll the opportunity to strengthen her relationship with her four sisters. I'm a family with a lot of girls. I have four sisters and then, of course, my mom. Um, So I've always grown up around strong female role models, but I think that, um, yeah, I think that us both being able to have a similar strong female role model um, just showed how we each can be strong with each other, if that makes sense. And it kind of just, like, I don't know, like it bonds us like in our womanhood, obviously. Um, and do you think there's something to be said with the main characters of these dystopian, you know, books, movies, mainly being women? Um, yes, definitely. Uh, I think that obviously when we grew up, or when we grew up super young, we didn't have a ton of like strong female role models. Of course, the only really female role models we had were like princesses from the Disney movies, which of course they're often a lot of like passive roles where they're not the ones doing. Um, the saving, in a sense, and I think that through um, books like Divergent and through books like The Hunger Games, it was crazy that the main character was a woman, and it was also, it's also just cool how physically strong these women were, like, of course they're mentally strong and, like, emotionally super strong, but they're also very physically strong, and that's something that's not often portrayed in novels, Um, and yeah, so it kind of inspires and I know it inspired my sister. The values of bravery and standing up for what you believe in are apparent in these dystopian films. 
For the Hunger Games, it is especially prevalent in its connection to sisterhood. Sister dressing up as Katniss. Oh yeah. Um, so my sister actually had like a huge obsession with the Hunger Games. Um, she, I remember she had this big poster in her room that was very close up of um, Jennifer Lawrence. Um, and she actually, so we used to take sewing classes together, and she actually made a Katniss costume. Um, we went and got the fabric for it, and she made it and dressed up as her for Halloween. Northwestern freshman Ava Mandoli also found dystopia in middle school. Characters were like my role models, right? And they, especially like as a young girl, you know, middle school is a rough time. And um, to be able to like look up to someone that seems so fearless, it's, it's nice to have when you feel like insecure. Ava's interest in the Hunger Game has remained, but now, She's considering it in a slightly new light. You get into high school and then you have to start trying to this like Englishy thinking, right? And so I'm like analyzing that. I'm like, what kind of critique on capitalism is this? Like <laughs> with the capital being like the center of consumerism and, and whatnot. And then them like pitting all the lower classes against each other. So it was it was funny to uh rewatch it um a couple of years later and like new meaning in it, I guess, because I did not think of that when I was 14. And Ava came to these conclusions after she spent her 2020 lockdown both re-watching The Hunger Games and doing a little light reading on political theory. They make you root for the underdog, you know? And I was like, when I was reading like this more like academic, I don't know, like political theory, I felt the same way. Freshman Nikki Gumandi took a dystopian literature class her senior year of high school. Though the coursework was mostly focused on dystopian classics, like V for Vendetta or We, she found that the class was bonded together and their love for the dystopian books they grew up on. Um, but I honestly think taking that class and reading those books made me appreciate them a lot more because I was, like, I was surrounded by, like, kids my age who had also, like, gone through a similar thing where their, like, first exposure to dystopian literature were things like The Hunger Games where... Um, like have these happy endings. Nikki also noticed a difference in the dystopians she studied versus the books she enjoyed. While the books in class were more scholastic by nature, the dystopian stories she grew up on featured a sense of hopefulness that stuck with her. I think a lot of us talked about like how books like that and like growing up with books like that really helped us sort of deal with a lot of the issues that we were seeing around us and that was something that we talked about a lot was this idea that like even when things look really bad like there's still always a way for them to get better she sees the influence of dystopian literature playing out in youth activism today there are like many factors that contributed but like the past couple of years like the rise of like, youth activism and stuff like that like obviously there's a ton of reasons why that happened but i do think like one of the reasons is because like a lot of us have grown up with this literature that sort of gives us this idea that like one and it's always like one like normal girl or normal boy like can like change the whole society that they live in um and so I think people like growing up like reading those messages over and over again and like seeing those messages like in movies and stuff like those were the big movies when we were growing up um definitely sort of gives you a little bit more hope that like you as an individual can make more change and there's one core dystopian question 
every super fan agrees on. I have one final question. Okay, team PETA or team Gale? PETA, all the way. I was always team PETA. Team PETA for life. Team PETA for life. Josh, if you see this, I love you. Definitely team PETA. Definitely team PETA. Anyone team Gale is just wrong. They just have not read the books. For WNUR News, I'm Ellie Skelly. Chaotic movies and TV scenes tend to feature a variety of noises, ranging from suspenseful music to the clanging of pots and pans. But the famous cat noise, consisting of the age-old cat squeal when something goes awry, doesn't seem to have a logical reason for its existence. Reporter Helen Bradshaw dove into the meaning behind the film industry's cat noise back in February. You sit down to watch a movie. Maybe you're looking for something that reminds you of childhood. Harry Potter might be a good choice. Dear Mr. Potter, we are pleased to inform you that you have been accepted at Hogwarts School for to go to wizardry. The night bus drives through the winding streets of the wizarding world, and then suddenly, it comes to a stop. That's when you hear it. But maybe it isn't Harry Potter. Maybe you just start a new girl and you see Jess going to pick up her stuff from her ex-boyfriend's house. Is she going to be okay in there? Oh my god! But wait, no. It wasn't New Girl or Harry Potter you wanted to watch. It was Free Willy. Or Monsters University. Or Hellboy. This cat sound is used a lot. Often when a cat isn't even a part of the plot of the movie. So why choose the sound? Hasn't this poor cat had enough? One, it's kind of funny, you know, and, it, and two, it has this sort of frequency of chaos, so you add these other things in and it, and it, it springs an imagination. You, you hear something off screen and you imagine a cat running away. So it's, it's something that um, is also a little bit of a cliché. That's Tom Myers. He's a sound designer and mixer at Skywalker Studios and has worked on films including Kong Skull Island, Up, Wally, Star Wars Episode 3, to name a few. But you don't have to be a sound designer to pick up on this recurring sound. You just have to, well, watch TV. Once you brought it to my attention, I was like, oh yeah, I have heard that a bunch of times. These recurring sounds in media aren't uncommon. There's a lengthy history of film sound tropes, including the infamous Wilhelm scream, <coughs> or the misplaced loon noise, and if you do a quick search for these online, you can find out about them pretty quickly through a variety of sources. But for this cat crash noise, it isn't quite the same. While there's some internet banter and forums discussing the sound, there's no definitive history of it or much explanation of why it's used. TV consumers and TV characters alike have had to simply guess. Jeez! <laughs> it was just a cat. Let's keep moving. Holy crap! What is up with that cat? Is someone throwing it? Keep I... moving. Let's not keep moving, because there is an insane cat down here. What about the zombies? Backburner, Troy! This cat has to be dealt with! So, why is this sound so widely used? There are certain frequencies that you rely upon that, that sort of make people's, you know, the hair on the back of their neck 
stand up. They're, they're, those sounds, like a cat sound, the higher frequency sounds, are ones that make us feel uncomfortable. It's like the you know the the violin strings in in Psycho. Normal dialogue is around one k one kilohertz, and, and you get up into four four k or you know six or something like that, which is where those cat frequencies are. It's, it sort of makes your your shoulders stand up and the hair on the back of your neck stand up. So those are good. there's a physical reaction that people have to, to various frequencies. So and that comes into sort of play with that, and that's the cat thing is. Perfect, and it goes with the sort of crashing glass and sort of similar frequencies. But beyond the frequencies of the sound and its impact on the audience, this cat crash noise is—it's kind of like an inside joke for sound designers and avid viewers. So my guess is it started out as uh, something that was supposed to be scary, and then got used enough times in enough movies where they—it's like uh, you know lightning crash or something like that as these horror tropes that are things that are used over and over again. So my guess is it after a while, like a lot of cliché, it started out as something real and then became cliché and then became humorous. It just is something that, that sound people have become sort of aware about. And it was initially it's something that people just did to amuse themselves or other sound people and then other people, directors and stuff became aware of it and so they started to use it and request it and then audience members started to become aware of it. The cat crash sound effect may not be used seriously to scare an audience anymore, but it's unlikely to completely die out with the life it's taken on outside of creating fear. It is something that has has been around and it's something that we've used, but it's not something that I was always conscious of. But, uh, but now maybe I'll, uh, I'll sneak it in in a couple of spots and we'll see what happens. For WNUR News, I'm Helen Bradshaw. And speaking of cats, the Northwestern Wildcats are entering their final season of sports for the 2021-22 academic year. Here next, Zach McCrary updates us on NU's spring sports. Hi, I'm Zach McCrary. Here's your NU sports report for this week. Yesterday, the 8th-ranked Northwestern softball team faced off against the UIC Flames at the J in Evanston for a round of Tuesday softball. Immediately, the Cats held the Flames scoreless in the first inning while scoring 10 runs in their half of the inning. They scored another 6 in the second and 5 more in the fourth. Ayana Lindsay led the way with 2 hits, 3 runs scored, and 6 RBI on the day. Cats win by run rule 21-2 in the fifth, and they improved to 35-7 on the season. Their next series will be against the Iowa Hawkeyes starting Friday at 4 p.m. in Evanston. Meanwhile, the men played the Milwaukee Panthers at home yesterday, and it was Wildcats all the way. D.A. Trubin Fontes hit a three-run homer in the second inning, and they didn't look back after that. Anthony Calarco hit an RBI double in the same inning to score Ethan O'Donnell for a total of four runs in the second inning. Rustich hit a homer of his own, his ninth of the season, in the bottom of the sixth to put another two on the board. The Panthers were shut out as the Cats win 8 to nothing. They're 19 and 17 this season and they play at Maryland for a three-game series starting Friday at 5:30 Central. 
And on Sunday, the second-ranked women's lacrosse team was in College Park to play the number 8 Maryland Terrapins for the regular season finale. Maryland turned it on in the first half, outscoring the Cats 5-10. Attack Jill Girardi was the top scorer for the Wildcats with a hat-trick on the day, going 2-4 on free positions. However, it wasn't enough to best the Terrapins' Libby May, with a total of 7 goals from 8 shots on Sunday. Cats lost 9-15 in the end. The upset gives Maryland at least a share of the Big Ten regular season title. They still have one conference game to play at Michigan, and if they lose, then they'll split the title with the Northwestern Wildcats. Otherwise, they keep it all to themselves. The Cats will be on break for a week before the start of the Big Ten tournament hosted by Rutgers. Quarterfinals will start on May 6th. And that wraps up your NU Sports Report for this week. For more information about upcoming games, as well as how you can watch the Wildcats live, visit www.nusports.com. I'm Zach McCurry, WNUR News. You're listening to WNUR News. It's 6.24 p.m. Central. In the headlines today, University of Virginia professor Lisa Marie Cacho visited Northwestern Tuesday evening to present on the criminalization of homeless Native Hawaiians due to settler colonialism. Cacho detailed police violence towards Native Hawaiians on the island, property rights, and criminalization of homeless people, among other topics, to students. The event was put on by NU's Asian American Studies Department. Today, Lori Lightfoot passed a new city ordinance that gives out gas and transit card passes to Chicago citizens in monthly drawings. The ordinance passed narrowly by city council voters, as some, like Alderman Leslie Harrison of the 5th Ward, said the program is not what the city needs most. Shares of Boeing fell more than 7% today in Dow Jones, after the company announced it will temporarily pause the production of its 777X passenger jet, a long-distance passenger jet that has been in decreased demand due to less international flights during the COVID-19 pandemic. Explosions were reported in Tiraspol, Transnistria, Tuesday evening, a southwest border country of Ukraine. Russia has had troops in Transnistria since the fall of the Soviet Union in the 1990s, and leader Vadim Krasnelsky blamed Ukraine for the attack. Here in Evanston, the weather has taken a cold and windy turn. It's currently 35 degrees in Evanston and cloudy. Winds are hanging around 10 miles per hour, and rain showers are expected shortly after nightfall. Tomorrow, Temperatures will increase to the high 40s, with cloudy skies and low chances of precipitation. Winds are expected to hover just over 10 miles per hour once again. By Friday, we head into upper 50s for a warmer and somewhat stormy weekend as we head into May. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, Follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other stories of the day on our website, WNUR.news. That's WNUR.news. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Our producer today is Sarah Kodora. 
and our reporters are Helen Bradshaw, Zach McCrary, Maria Jimena Aragon, and Ellie Skelly. From all of us here at WNUR News, I'm Iris Forthow. Thanks for listening. Catch our next newscast on Friday, April 29 at 6 p.m. Now, back to scheduled programming.